0: Welcome to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills, and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VICTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners, and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au Hello, my name's Kerry Ball and I'm joined today by Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi. Really good to have you here and uh, so keen to hear your story today. I'm looking forward to telling you all about it, actually. Yeah, (laughs) that's good. Well, do you want to just start us there then? Do you want to tell us a bit about your family? Give us some background.
1: Absolutely. I was um, blessed with a gorgeous little boy. His name is Corby, and I'll use his name throughout um, our our conversation today. And he was born about eight years ago and... um, we had a bit of trouble. He was born a bit early and um, we found out while he was in the NICU that he might have some issues and um, cerebral palsy might, might be in his future. And um, it was. And so as we went through our kind of little diagnosis, we've got this beautiful little boy with um, quad CP, which is um, all limbs affected cerebral palsy. And he is a joyful child and he, he, and um, he just kind of makes makes our family fun. Um, My husband and I absolutely are so blessed to have him in our little family. It's just the three of us. And um, yeah, he's, he's just joyful in everything that he does. He is such a sweet soul. Um, And even though he can't do everything that everyone else can, he certainly does his best to get involved in society.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so keen to hear more about that. And and thanks for giving us that background. You mentioned Niku, So you're talking about yes. the natal intensive care unit where he yeah. spent some time when he was first born.
1: Yes. So in, um, in the NICU, uh, and we're from Newcastle, so beautiful John Hunter Hospital, um, they looked after him in his first four weeks of life. He was born four weeks early. Um, and they did lots of tests uh, in the NICU because he, he came out and he was struggling a bit with his oxygen levels um, and a bit of seizure activity. And so they did lots of blood tests, um, talking about metabolic illnesses, possibly genetic um, you know, traits and things that might have been problematic. And then they did MRI which found some Mm -hmm. abnormal brain matter Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. you knew when he was just a tiny bub that you were expecting to see some developmental concerns with him and that was sort of on your radar from the get-go
1: Yes. So, um, as we went through the quite high level, there's different levels in the NICU, but we were in the high level, um, measuring his seizure activity. And then we, you know, went on to oxygen as we were going through all those levels. They were wonderful. They assigned us, um, some social workers, as well as some, um, doctors that talked us through some of the problems that he was having. Um, and they were great, very, um, what would you call it, user-friendly language rather yeah. than jargonistic, which was really good and helped us feel confident um, even though there might be issues that um, that we could work through the system as well as the hospital system and that we would be supported. And there was lots of programs in place that could continue to help us understand what might be his issues moving forward. They knew we would have some, but we didn't know what they might be. Um, they just knew that he had been oxygen-deprived at some point um, and what was Going to be the issues. We had no idea at that point. There was just a possibility of brain related disabilities which included cerebral palsy it's a big umbrella term yeah. for any of those brain related illnesses yeah mm.
0: sure sure it's it's good to, uh, for us to hear about how the medical practitioners communicated with you and they kind of debunked some language because it's the experience and I think even you just using the term Niku, you mm. start developing a bit of a language don't you a new language that you're learning Absolutely. And it's
1: so tricky when you've just given birth, it's your first child and you have no idea what you're doing um, and you're thrust into this environment of tiny little babies and you don't know how to deal with your own baby. He's hooked up to all this equipment. It's terrifying and overwhelming. And you have these emotions and um overwhelming need to try and fix everything and it absolutely you can't and so people it's so important to have people there that can talk you through all of the steps this is what this lead means he has this attached here because of and having those people there in the early stages just calms you down and then you can then explain to your friends and your family how to talk about your child and what it all means and then it becomes a bit more normalized early on um, if it if it's all unknown early on it's very very tricky to start navigating your life forward
0: yeah yeah so they they help you with the language even they help you with understanding but the language to use to talk talk with others yeah.
1: absolutely the social workers were phenomenal yeah. uh they they spent a lot of time with us talking through how uh we were emotionally dealing with it as well as interpreting things for us if we needed to have any questions about what he was going through at the time
0: Mm. and and Sam you said Corby's eight now but I understand that you live in an area where it was a trial site for the NDIS so the National Disability Insurance Scheme was in place when Corby was born how how old was he when you got referred to the NDIS
1: he was approximately about six months old. We were put into the this hospital system first, and then as he was transitioned out of the early intervention in the hospital, um, NDIS just started being rolled out in our local area. Hunter, The Hunter region in New South Wales was a rollout area for the trial NDIS scheme. And we were very lucky. Uh, we He was perfectly suited as a candidate, and uh, we got rolled into it when he was about six months old. So his first official plan started at six months old.
0: Yeah. And wow, what changes you must have seen (laughs) in the NDIS over the last eight years. Um, Absolutely.
1: uh,
0: Yeah, extraordinary changes for you to navigate. What's happening for you now in terms of managing your NDIS plan? I think
1: the NDIS has, as you said, gone through many iterations over time. And the current program that we we utilize is a self-managed plan so we manage everything that includes all of the money funds, uh, how we use our consumables, which is the kind of portion of your budget where you can buy day-to-day items like nappies and things like that, that normally eight-year-olds wouldn't use anymore, that sort of thing, Uh, as well as helping coordinate where our funding goes for each of our therapies and multiple different ways that we can organize equipment. So the self-managed Idea of the NDS, which didn't exist in its initial phases, uh, has absolutely suited us perfectly, uh, and that's what we've been using for the last two plans that we've been through.
0: Yeah, so you weren't always self-managed. Do you think you could have been self-managed way back then, or is no? Can uh huh? Tell me
1: <laughs> uh, when when he first was on the NDS at six months, and I think it's probably different now in this kind of podcast and. Facebook and all this kind of things—the information about the NDIS is way more prolific now than it was in the early stages. You know, us being in a pilot program, um, there was not enough information for us to be able to know what we do, what we were doing, and especially when you're a first-time parent, you're already trying to navigate the world of having a baby, let alone a baby with a disability. And I think having—it um, was actually NDIS managed at that point it was a bit of a godsend um, because we didn't have to think about anything to do with the money. It was just sorted for us. And that was definitely something, if you're overwhelmed, that's definitely the, well, now it can be plan managed, but that's a way to go, especially when you're learning new things about the NJS. Um, It can help you kind of set yourself back away from the stress um, to learn a bit more before you can feel confident enough to be self-managed.
0: Ah, yeah. So, it was kind of developmental for you. You needed to step towards being self-managed. And now, what kind of a task is it for you? Are you finding it manageable?
1: I think so. And organisation is a a big, strong point. You need to be able to have um, a clear guide that you've set up, an organisational kind of suite that you've set up. So, what we've done, and I have a fantastic husband, and I'm I'm so blessed to have him in my life. He is an accountant, and he and I set up a bank account specifically for Corbin's NDIS. Uh, accounts and money that comes in and out. Um, and we set up a specific email account to be able to track all of those things and a Dropbox account or something similar like a G, like a, a Google Drive or something where you take pictures or um, scan in invoices or receipts or whatever it might be um, into one space and they're dated um, and organized. And he also does the same with the bank accounts. So organising what comes in, what comes out, having a separate bank account, a separate email means it does nothing ever gets lost. And it means there's one place, not that I've ever really heard of anyone be audited, but it's a possibility as a self-managed person that NDIS might say, okay, tell me where those funds have gone. Um, We've got all of the processes in place for us to just tell them exactly and show them exactly all of the information that they
0: might need. Mm. Thanks for sharing that Sam it's really practical tips about what can be an arduous um, thing to manage for Mm. some families and good to hear your perspective that you didn't want to do that um, in the very beginning you were managing other things at that time and that you've you've now got to a stage where you're self managing and confident doing that.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important to understand your emotional state. It's not a failure to not be able to self-manage. It absolutely isn't. People are all different stages of disability. Some people are managing their own disability plans um, as, a, as a parent. And thankfully I've got that accountant husband in, in my arsenal here, but it doesn't mean you're a failure if you have to be plan managed. It, it means that you're asking for help and asking for help is probably the hardest thing to do but the best thing to do as a parent or as someone with a disability.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and the NDIS is set up to provide those levels of support if and when people are needing that.
1: Yeah, Absolutely, that's what it's there for. Mm.
0: Yeah. So over that time I'm guessing you've worked with a whole lot of providers, a whole lot of therapists. Can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. We initially,
1: as we were part of the local pilot program, as I said before, um, we were rolled into a particular organization straight away and um, we had attached to us a speech therapist, a phys- uh, physical, sp- a physio, a um, OT and a dietitian. So we had a nice little team to start with when he was starting off at six months old. And over time, we've worked with lots of different therapists for lots of different reasons. And um, I'll talk a little bit about it as we go through about how and when to choose different therapists that suit your life um but we've had yeah we've had lots and lots of different therapists and all of them have been in different ways helpful to Mm Corby
0: so you mentioned about choosing if I can just take a step back though Mm. back then with the NDIS you were referred directly to a provider so you didn't need to make that early decision about which provider but now over time you have been choosing providers so how, how do you go about making those choices, Sam? It's tricky.
1: <laughs> I, I think at, at the initial stages, just like I was happy to be managed by someone else with his NDIS plan at that stage, it was nice to know that you were looked after immediately and that there was a set of therapists that knew what they were doing and that you were able to work with initially um, to try and ed- educate yourself on what your child was going through and how to help him the best way over time there's been lots of changes. So, life changes and all sorts of things. Um, We've had to adapt in order to suit Corbin's needs. And I think that's really important to understand that that's what the NDIS is all about now. We're allowed to shift and change according to what works for you. And so, Sometimes it's just life change. So some of them moved out of the area or I might've moved into a different area. Um, Sometimes they don't fit your schedule. And so, you know, I needed, I needed a therapist on a Monday because that was my day off when Corbin was younger. And that's, that's when I, and she didn't work Mondays anymore. And that was okay. It's okay to shift you know, in that sort of situation, it doesn't suit you. We already know how overwhelming it is to have a child with a disability. You shouldn't have to shift everything to make something work. Heaven and earth are already problematic. You don't don't need to move it all to suit them. Um, And I think it's super important that you have a positive team around you that love your child and that do the best they can to make sure your child is doing the best he can or she can.
0: Mm. Mm. I'm interested, too, that you talk about this team and about the therapist needs to bring something to that team. And that's really what a team is, isn't it? Absolutely. Everyone bringing things. Parents bring a whole lot of knowledge and understanding and expertise and wisdom about their child and family. And uh, therapists uh, bring a whole lot of clinical uh, expertise around their practice, um, and, a, and a good knowledge of evidence-based practices, and so on. And that's uh, that's part of teamwork. But what what do you think about teamwork, Sam? What's made your teamwork so well? I think
1: having agency to choose the team has been such a wonderful thing. So you never feel stuck and the confidence grows and, you know, we're eight and a half years in. And so my confidence grew and grew that I, I knew my child enough and I knew what therapists could give me. And I I have developed this wonderful, wonderful team that complement each other. They are positive. They are up to date. They work with us. In what Corby needs, but also what our life needs, because sometimes it's not going to work. So, you know, if you have a particular goal, but it's not going to work for the next three months for your family, that's okay. And the therapist can work around that. They also work beautifully together. Now, they're all independent, Um, they're not in a, a kind of collective group agency. So, where we end up being the head of the team. So my husband and I, wear the team head. And so everything either comes through us, but what is so beautiful is I need them to be independent. And I also need them to be proactive and they're fantastic at talking to each other. And so I give them permission to do that. And I, you know, write little, no confidentiality or, you know, wave for my confidentiality. And I expect them to talk to each other. So, you know, I'll say, oh, can you please talk to so-and-so about that? I need to know how my feeding will affect this chair. So I need the OT and the speechy to talk to each other and maybe organise a joint session uh, where we can actually address both the seating position and the feeding itself. So the proactive nature of them and just their desire to do the best for my child is what our team is all about.
0: Yeah, and at a really practical level, Sam, that must mean you're allocating funds for them to work as a team to communicate together and do joint visits and so on. And that's the beauty of
1: self-managing. So it's it's a little bit trickier with the plan managing because they get allocated a particular pool of money and it's not as easy to be transparent. Whereas we're able to say, okay, I need you to spend an hour talking and and making a plan of Corbyn's new seating chair or, or his new bike or whatever, and I need the physio and I need the OT to work together for an hour. I can, I'm, Both of you bill me an hour for that. And so um, we make sure our therapists know that we will happily pay for that time. And it's important. Everyone knows you, if you work, you understand that your time is precious. And so we're not expecting them to be working outside of that timeframe of their own
0: goodwill in order for them to do something for our child. Mm. So you, it sounds to me like you're really prioritising that teamwork element by thinking in that way about waiving um, communication um, so that they can talk to each other, but also you're funding them to do that.
1: Absolutely. And it's, like I said, it's very important that they know we support them as much as, so it gives them confidence and it also gives them agency to support us. So there's, there's always a two-way street and they know that we're not going to expect more of them than what they should be doing because everyone's a professional with time constraints. So I want them to know that I value their time. And when they come to our house, you know, they value my time, they're, they're on time and they, they're respectful with my time and they come in and they are they're prepared, and that's what I expect of my therapists. Mm.
0: Is There anyone else in the team, Sam, apart from the three therapists that you've mentioned, and, and you, you two as the head? And I, I reckon Corby's probably, you know, central <laughs> to that, uh, being the head of the team. Yes, he's
1: he's what is it, the neck that controls everyone? That's <laughs> that's my child. He's he's oh, he's such a joy. Everyone absolutely loves working with him. I just had a speechy finish actually this week because uh, she's gone on maternity leave, and uh, she just said, Oh, I just I don't want to leave him. I, you know, I can't. He's just so wonderful she's getting choked up um and they're invested they're invested in him which I think that emotional connection is also really important because they become not just a team but part of your family um, because they're there all the time you know some of them are there once every fortnight and they're just you know constantly connected in and yeah I I think the team is also not just those therapists because while the professionals are important we have teams of we've got grandparents involved and we've got friends and family that adore our child that come along and go for walks with us or help us pull him along when he's you know doing his bike work and um, all of those things but we also have an amazing school that backs us up during those school hours and a beautiful support learning officer which is his teacher's aide and a teacher that goes above and beyond to learn about him and how to teach him well we just Oh, I'm so, so absolutely incredibly blessed with people that want to do things in order to make Corby both included um, and feel valued.
0: Yeah. Um, you talked, Sam, about um, you used some words like respect earlier yes. about um, respect. And it seems that you've got enormous respect for the team around that you've built around you as well. It's a two-way thing.
1: It's absolutely. And I think if I don't respect them and their time, um, I shouldn't be expecting that same kind of value back. And that's part of who we are as a family. And that's what my husband and I have in our kind of value system. And I think that's so important to build a really strong, competent team that is respectful. And we respect them because they are good at what they do. Um, And they respect us because they want to do the best by Corbin and, everyone works really well together because of that value we have for each other yeah it's
0: a good thing for us to hear about you you mentioned corby at school and what a great teacher and and teachers aid um that are there at the school how's he enjoying school tell us about it he it's his favorite place to be in fact when i first
1: when we first put him in school and so he's in year three now Uh, He's turning nine this year. And so his kindergarten uh, and his kindergarten teaching was amazing too. We put him in school and the kids were phenomenal. We are so lucky at the school that we're at in New South Wales. I don't know how it works elsewhere, but in order to get full funding for a child, you you go to a state school and um, you can't get the same kind of funding in a private system. So we went to our local state school we actually shop state schools and moved into a catchment of a wonderful state school. And they were so welcoming from the first outset, they were planning ideas and ramping things and organizing ideas. He, he went, straight into an inclusive mainstream class. And that was really important to us. Um, we didn't want him in a unit and that is different for everyone. We just had a specific goal set because he's so socially um, aware. We decided that mainstream was the best option for him. He has no behavior issues. He absolutely adores people and he is a great listener um, and a really good addition to a school environment. So I didn't want him in a particular like unit. He probably will be that when he gets to high school but for primary school it's about inclusion for me and I am a teacher and so it's really important for me to have uh, my child in a mainstream class and he's learning as much as he is teaching others uh, about disability and having him visible in the classroom makes him real to other students and their parents and it means that disability becomes more visible in the public. And for me, that's a key goal of mine throughout kind of Corbin's life is that we're going to educate people about how he knows exactly what you're talking about. He doesn't have to be babied. He doesn't, you know, he loves life and he doesn't have to be put aside just because he has a disability.
0: Powerful words for us, Sam. So it sounds like the, the social aspect was, is important to you, but that's not all. There's a whole lot of other things about your values and so on. And I'm really pleased to hear about how you mentioned the school was so welcoming. It sounded like they made adaptations even before he um, began there. You, you mentioned ramps and those sorts of things. So they, they had to make physical adaptations ready for him?
1: Yes. So I did a bit of research before we put Corby into school. And so what, what needed to happen was as he was heading into school, we needed 12 months out to tell the school that a child was coming in with a disability. And so we did lots of meetings with the school about 12 months out. We did a child psychologist and counselor kind of appointments to see where he was going to sit in the school as well. And then they did an audit of different classrooms and where, he was able to access. Now, we were very lucky. They had a child with cerebral palsy, not so different from Corbyn, go through maybe three years above Corby, And he's just graduated out to year seven this year into high school. But a whole bunch of the school, including a
0: disability bathroom, was already in place. Mm, mm. And not just those uh, physical adaptations of the environment, but other adaptations that they can be uh, beginning to understand about Corby's learning needs and so on. Absolutely.
1: They were putting learning plans in place. They were working together with their um, support team in order to make sure that he would be well looked after. And they involved me in every single step of that process. And I even shadowed Corby all the first day of school to help teach the, the staff room as well as the um, teachers aid in what we what we were doing and how we were doing it and then I had my therapist team go into school across the first couple of weeks uh, yeah. one at a time it's overwhelming <laughs> if you're going to put them all in together but one at a time go in and teach them different things and leave them leave her she's got a book at school my teacher's aid in the classroom of what to do in certain situations so these are our physio goals and then this is how you stretch you know if he's in pain this is you know how you do it this is how to double handle when you're moving him into a standing pieces of equipment, and how long he should be in those, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So lots of really practical planning that went into place, um, and then they go once a term normally, depending on the need at the time, uh, to go into school and check the progress and see if the teacher's aid need any more assistance, um, which is fantastic because I can't do that. You know, we work full-time, my husband and I, so we can't go in and check in all the time. So the therapists go in and do that for us um, with their specific set of skills.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like their focus is on building the um, skills and knowledge of the teaching staff integration aid and in the teacher so that they can then support Corby's learning absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just confidence across the whole
1: school in general and mm-hmm. and just increasing his inclusion he is well loved he is so well loved at that school and the kids meet my husband at the gate in the morning to help him bring in equipment and you know they they will they they fight over each other in order to wheel Corbyn to different rooms and all of that kind of stuff and and really include him in activities that they say oh we've left out Corbin you know they're always constantly really aware and that is the teacher doing that like the teacher is constantly saying okay so how do we do this how do we teach you know and what are we doing in order to make sure we're including others so going above and beyond with those empathy skills and practical ideas about what we do with kids with disabilities you know he might not be able to talk how do we know what Corbin's thinking um, and so all of those sorts of things she's been all three of them that he's had so far different teachers have been above and beyond
0: Mm. really good Mm. you you say you're lucky Sam but it sounds to me like you've worked um really beautifully (laughs) in terms of bringing a a team of people together and uh you say he's well loved and (laughs) I, I think we can all hear that about what a what a joy he is
1: he is a joy. And yes, absolutely. We, there is a bit of luck because um, especially in the area that we're in, we're not a huge region, we're not a huge city center. So we're no Melbourne, we're no Sydney. So while Newcastle has amazing facilities in the John Hunter and all sorts of things like that. It is still quite difficult to find specific niche therapists, um, so it does get tricky, and so there is some luck involved. But you're absolutely right; it's it's about having that confidence to build the team that is perfect for you, and you know the just the way that he's been included in at school has also been because of my advocacy. So, um, actually, having those meetings with the school and not demanding, but not backing down about what you actually need, I think is really important. Um, there, there has been some pushback at certain stages about, oh, we can't accommodate that. And I'm like, why? Tell me why and tell me, give me some reasons why and let me, let me find a reason or find a way around that. Let me talk to some people to figure out how we can make that work for Corbin because it's not okay to just say no. So that has, not, that has been few and far between, uh, but it's really important to be involved and an advocate and not back down when you know what's important for your child.
0: Mm, mm. And you talked about what's important for, for you and your family and for Corbin earlier about how your values are so important to bring to that. Sam, you've shared a whole lot of practical tips as we've been talking, which has just been great. Is there anything else before we finish up that you'd like to share with parents who are listening or teachers or therapists? There's a whole range of people that listen to these podcasts. Oh, uh, it's... I mean, I've had so many a variety
1: of experiences, but I think, and I know that that's the focus of this podcast as well, inclusion is key. So the visibility of people with disabilities is so, so important. And you never, ever have to excuse your child or you never have to put them aside or make any kind of um, adjustments for them to be not seen in the public or not seen in the classroom, um, the more that they are visible, the more that they're made to be a part of society, the better actually society is.
0: Good note to end on, Sam, and I couldn't agree with you more uh, in terms of society being all the richer for the contributions of people with disabilities. So thank you. It's been really terrific um, hearing from you and thank Corby on our behalf too. It's been a great <laughs> I will. His story. <laughs> he's a he's a beautiful child.
1: Thankfully, he would he would actually be involved in this podcast if he was if I was at home. He loves he loves being involved in any kind of video chats. COVID has actually been joyful for him because he loves seeing people's faces online. So <laughs> he would have been he would have been all over the podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear there's benefits for some. Yeah. <laughs> all right then, Sam. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye bye. Sam brought such positivity to today's conversation I loved how she talked about Corby being joyful what a great description Sam has been involved in the NDIS for eight years since Corby was a baby and she shared fantastic insight into how she navigated that over the years In the early days, she didn't feel she was able to manage the funding package, as she was coping with all the things that come with being a new mum. But she developed confidence over time, as well as the skills and knowledge she needed to now manage Corby's NDIS funding package with the support of her accountant husband and by developing a system that worked for both of them. Sam talked about just wanting to fix things in the early days but she had critical support from a team that helped her manage the emotional turmoil, learn to navigate the service system and provide information and advice to help Corbin's development. Working with a positive team has continued to be important to Sam. She spoke of the need to work with professionals that kept Corbin and the family at the centre, but were competent, proactive, up-to-date and respectful of the whole family's needs. Sam reminded us that their team also includes committed teachers and aides, as well as extended family and friends. She's committed to making the team work well together and respect for each other seems foundational. Sam talked about her growing confidence several times in our conversation. She also talked about her increasing agency. I think of agency in terms of developing the ability to make good choices and being empowered or energised to take action to achieve the results you want. Sam spoke so strongly about the choices she makes and how her choices change over time to meet Corbyn's needs as he grows up. I was impressed by Sam's focus on Corby's inclusion in community life and contribution to society. She said that at school, he's learning as much as he is teaching others. And for Sam, as she said, inclusion is key. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiovic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.